What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Stat Stories, a Stat Muse original podcast. I'm Chad Shanks. And I am Justin Kabatko. And with all the incredible performances of the 2016-17 season, it's easy to overlook the fact that the league as a whole had a record-shattering year, especially on offense. We found some reasons that could explain this offensive explosion, including one particular rule change that could have set everything in motion. In this episode 25, Hand Checks and Balances. So like I said, it was an historic season on many levels, not just from individuals, because we've, we've talked about Westbrook and Harden ad infinitum on this podcast, but with good reason. Uh, last week, we, our last podcast, we talked about Giannis and how his great season. There are just so many individual performances that were so good that we've we've kind of failed to touch on just league-wide how incredible this season was from an offensive perspective. So just quick breakdown, right, of some of the stats that illustrate how offense just exploded this season, right? For instance, talked about Westbrook. You know he broke the record for most triple doubles by a player in a season, but all the players combined had 117 triple doubles, which the previous record was just 78 in 1988-89. Massive increase there. There were 110 instances of players scoring 40-plus trailing only the 61-62 season where Wilt Chamberlain had 63 of them on his own. And then there was a record 10 players with 50-point games this season, where the previous record was only 8, which done twice, including last season. So they broke the record last season and then upped it by 2 this season. There was a record 31 players who averaged 20 points per game and then 13 who averaged 25 points per game. Teams averaged 105.6 points per game, which was the highest mark in 26 years. And there are some other stats, if you break it down just by the league average, where they also just set new records or the highest that they've seen in a while. Yeah, so if we look at the league-wide stats, we'll also see some interesting things. For example, if you look at pace, which is an estimate of possessions per 48 minutes by an average team. League-wide, that was 96.4 this year, which is the highest or the fastest pace since the 92-93 season. Um, If you look at points per 100 possessions or offensive rating, league-wide, highest in history, 108.8 points per 100 possessions this season. Um, Highest percentage of three-point field goals attempted in history. You touched on that a little earlier, but 31.6% of all shots this season from the field were three-pointers. So just just some things happening this season that we've never never really seen before. Yeah, and it's even continuing into the playoffs. I think you uh, you had found late last week that teams are averaging 103.2 points per game in the first round, which is the highest since '92. And since the first round, the time we were recording this, the first round just closed yesterday with the Jazz beating the Clippers. And there were seven players with 40-point games in the first round, which is the most in a single round ever. So just the scoring explosion was not limited to the regular season. It's, it's continuing on. So, of course, the question we have, uh, we, we dumped a lot of data on you there. but Take that for data. We had kind of set the set the table for saying like, yeah, some, something's happening here. There's, this season was not like any other. But so the answer is why? Like, why is all of this happening at at the same time in the same season, right? So we have an easy answer that we've touched on in pretty much every podcast because the, the pro- proliferation of the three-point shot has just changed 
everything in the NBA. This season, they the league attempted total over 23,000 three-pointers, which set the record for the fifth consecutive year. And they also had the most three-point uh, shots per game in history, the the highest ratio of three points attempts per field goals attempts. So yeah, they just keep going. And it wasn't just three. The three point shot has affected other stats, right? There are other stats that are tangentially increased by the increase in threes. Well, yeah, not just stats that have increased, but stats that have de- decreased as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, so one of the stats. So we're gonna let's let's tie this into what Dean Oliver calls the four factors of basketball success. And he defines those as number one, shooting, number two, turnovers, number three, rebounding, and number four, free throws. So going back to the the first one, shooting, because so many teams used the three-point shot as an effective weapon this year, we saw the highest effective field goal percentage in history. So remember, effective field goal percentage is just regular field goal percentage with a slight adjustment for the extra point provided by the three-point shot. So the league effective field goal percentage was 51.4% this year, an all-time high. So obviously teams are, are shooting the ball much more effectively. That makes sense then that the league-wide offensive rating has, has reached historic levels. Um, another thing too, and these other three of the four factors that I mentioned, turnovers, rebounding, free throws, I think these are all affected by the three-point shot as well. If you look at turnovers, for example... There was an all-time low in turnover percentage this year where I'm measuring it as turnovers per 100 possessions. And so one of the reasons for that could be the proliferation of the three-point shot means fewer drives to the basket, which often result in turnovers or more commonly result in turnovers in like a stand-up jumper. Uh, fewer post-ups. Post-ups also a play that will, will generate turnovers more than just a standalone jump shot will, those sorts of things. Um, and also, of course, Fewer turnovers means more opportunities to score the ball, right? And so that should also lead to an increase in offensive efficiency. Um, rebounding also. Offensive rebounding this year, if you look at offensive rebounding percentage, was at an all-time low. And I think one of the reasons for that might be the fact that so many big men are shooting three-pointers, and, and big men are the most likely candidates to get offensive rebounds, that... So they're, they're pulled away from the hoop, which means there's no one really there to grab offensive rebounds. And so I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we're seeing historic lows for offensive rebound percentage. And then also for um, free throw rate, which is measured various ways, but I'm going to talk about it in terms of free throw attempts per field goal attempt. The free throw rate was the fifth lowest in history this year. And again, I think it ties back to the three-point shot because you're talking about more three-pointers being attempted which means fewer drives, fewer post-ups, and those are the types of plays that tend to draw fouls. Unless you're James Harden and you can easily yeah, draw you can fouls magically, Yeah, you make fouls happen somehow. Yeah, so the question that arises from all this, all right, if the three-pointer is the reason, if, if it's the everything is trickled down from that, why are teams shooting so many threes? Uh, the, like the, the go-to answer on that one is has to do with like the rise of analytics, right? And the acceptance of that and how, you know, the eggheads led by Daryl Morey and all those guys have figured out, hey, we're gonna do some math and say that three is worth more than two. And if you shoot more of those over time, the percentages will shift in your favor. I mean, is that, I know that's a very uh, rudimentary, simplistic way of putting it, but is that is that a good enough answer to you? The, the rise of analytics and just people, have people really just accepted 
that that style of thinking so much that's led to so many teams just heaving threes like crazy i think it's a piece of the answer i don't think it's the entire answer but i think it's definitely a piece of the answer i mean think about it this way a long two-pointer let's let's say it's a 40 percent shot or something like that well you could move a few feet back and see your shooting percentage drop to say 30 percent and you'd still be better off taking the three-pointer you know what i mean so i i think the rise of analytics and has has helped this this line of thinking where teams are seeing now that yeah there, there's certain areas on the floor where it's really silly for us to be shooting shots because we're taking almost all the risk associated with the three-point shot and getting none of the reward so back back several years ago we're talking maybe uh you know nine ten years ago i was a consultant for the portland trailblazers and at that time they had nobody on staff who who was a data person or an analytics person and I, I would say now at this point every team has at least one person and probably multiple people yeah who a work department. in analytics departments right exactly yeah and so it, you know things have just changed dramatically like I, w- I was basically a consultant who was there part-time giving them about 40 hours a month and now they probably have people working you know 60 70 hours a week on this stuff yeah, and the coaches and players over time have become more accepting of it and actually listen to what they say and work it into their game plans instead of, you know, having the, you know, the butting heads with the the two different styles of things. But so that was a hell of a lot of prologue to set us up to where we wanted to get, which is this theory that we have and we're not alone in it by any by any stretch of the imagination, but just looking at a specific rule change a little over a decade ago that really seemed to set all of this in motion and started the the evolution process that led to the NBA that we have today. And so you can kind of see if you start tracking some of these stats that we've talked about that there was definitely an upward or downward trajectory that started at the 2004-2005 season. And coincidentally, that is when that is when the league mandated a strict enforcement of the hand-checking rule. So, what exactly is hand-checking? Now, I could sit here and describe it for you, but I'm going to let Hubie Brown, the, the great ESPN commentator and former coach, uh, legendary in his own right, he explained it in an in, um, interview in NBA Finals Media Day, and he can explain what hand-checking is much better than I ever can. So here's Hubie. I put that hand on your hip, Jack, and you're a guard, and you're a small forward, and I put my hand and call that hand checking with these guys with hands this big, and they move you, and they press you full court, and they put that hand, and then as you start to go by them, start to go by me, come on. We were able to use, we were able to use that forearm as soon as it's like football. All of a sudden now, the defensive halfback can't get you past five yards. Why? Because they want more scoring. So today, we've got a green light for these guards and small forwards to get to the rim now, and you have to play them perfectly without the hand contact or the forearm. That's a better definition of hand-checking than I could ever say. Hubie and his, the way of explaining things only Hubie can. So the question is, why did the NBA want to make this change? Why did they want to start enforcing it? Well, if you look back after the ugly 1994 finals where my hometown Rockets were the the victors, like I really loved that finals as an 11 year old kid, but turns out a lot of people really hated it because no MJ and just a slugfest, right? And so after that, the NBA officially outlawed hand checking from the baseline to the opposing three point line. 
but it wasn't really like super enforced, right? But then it took another ugly finals in the 2003-2004 season when the Pistons were just one of the best defensive teams to ever make a run that way because with Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, and they beat the Lakers in the finals. And so the conspiracy theorists will point out that right after that finals would when, you know, the big market, big star team was beaten by this, this gruff, gritty defensive team. That's when the NBA decided the next season to disallow any arm contact on, on drives. So I'm not going to get into any conspiracy theories on why they, why they did what they did or anything just that the fact is that that's when it happened at in starting in the 2004-2005 season hand checking was not allowed and more importantly very much enforced well in that season just league-wide there was some ugly basketball the average team scored 102.9 points per 100 possessions and if you throw out the lockout season of 98-99 which was Horrible basketball. Yeah, so if you horrible. just ignore that season, because it should be ignored, um, that was the lowest offensive rating of the three-point era to that point. And actually, it's the lowest offensive rating period if you throw out the 98-99 season since the three-point shot was um, was added in 79-80. So, yeah, some really ugly basketball that season. Yeah, and the NBA at that, at that era, too, if you think back, was really had kind of an image problem, right? Uh, you had the what year was the malice in the palace? I mean, that was the same like general era, right? Uh, people were complaining about the NBA like f- falsely. This I don't agree with this, but the NBA players did all become thugs, right? Because well, Allen the, the Jailblazers too. Yeah, the, the Jailblazers had tattoos. He had tattoos all over him, and people were upset about that. And the the quality of the pl- of play, like you said, and sh- showed by the numbers was dipping a little bit. So it was just a perfect storm where the NBA was like, we have to do something. And so the best thing to do is let's, let's come up with ways to increase scoring because that's what the people want to see. And so they put that rule in effect and there were instant results, right? So the year before, only T-Mac and Iverson had averaged more than 25 points a game. So just two players. The very next year, they had seven players do it, with Iverson even going up to 30 points a game. And then the the following season, there were 10 players, with three of them averaging over 30 points per game. So even, and then we see this season, it's gone all the way up to the record 13 players with over 25 points per game. So you can definitely see from the individual like star players, there was already a, a shift in, in higher scoring. Because um, there, there was this shift from the dominance of the big men that we had to now you see shifting to the dominance of the perimeter players. And of course, why is that? I think it's, it's important for anyone who doesn't understand, like why does removing hand checking make it so much easier for perimeter players to score? I mean, it's just kind of common sense, right? If, if you are not allowed to use your hands to impede the offensive player, that's going to make it a lot easier for him to, to drive to the basket, right? I mean, is it, is it more complicated than that? I don't think so. Yeah, so little quicker players without anyone stopping them in any way are going to be able to just just burn right around defenders and go straight to the basket. And of course, you had, whenever that happened, you would encounter... A defender, right? There would be a defender waiting usually. And so the NBA eventually, you know, near at the same time, 
did some other rules. They had already gotten rid of uh, illegal defense, right? So you didn't have to stay locked to a man. So you could help out in the lanes and stuff like that. But then, of course, when a player becomes goes straight to the basket unimpeded and they're going to meet with the big defender down low, of course, they're going to knock the hell out of them. And then, of course, you have to kind of counterbalance that so that's where the nba started in with all the flagrant foul rules and stuff like that and then what that leads to is you're going to be a lower a lower percentage of shot blocking that we've seen that it's steadily gone down for a while and that these guys the perimeter players quick players can just go straight to the basket and have no one touch them right and so the shift in dominance from post to perimeter players you see that in 50 point games shifting from the big men to the little guys mvp awards and mvp award voting shifting from the big guys to the little guys um the biggest example i think is the following two years after the hand checking rules enforced you have the emergence of steve nash right nash won the mvps both of those following seasons before, and that was like a perfect storm, right? A perfect storm yeah. because you had the rule changes. You had uh, Nash going into a system that just fit him perfectly. And you have D'Antoni, the mastermind, running the whole thing. I mean, it was just like all these things coming together at once. And, and it proved to be just a perfect mix. Yeah, just the, the perfect storm for what we saw. And so... That was kind of the the genesis, and we've seen that that rule has kind of gradually turned into what we saw this season. So again, there's someone else who can really explain this a lot better than, than what I can. So let's turn once more to the great Hubie Brown, who on Mike and Mike really, ex- really explained much better than I can what removing the hand check does and how it changes the way a team scores. Where, where are the plays? Where's the cerebral part of the game? Where are the great offenses that we saw for years and years? Where are you getting me a great shot with the shot clock down in the last four, five, or six seconds in my best areas? Where's that challenge for the coaching staff? Well, the player coming in now, the one and done, the one and done. Any coach will tell you the cerebral part of the game is down because now we run pick and roll, pick and pop, one-on-one. Well, why do you do that? Because you can get to the rim. You can get to the rim without the hand-checking and without the hard fouls. And so as Hubie says, and as we've, we've talked about, yeah, it creates a way for perimeter players to just go largely unchecked. And I was watching the game as it was yesterday as of the day that we were recording this, the game one round between the Celtics and the Wizards, right? And so... I was watching it with this research fresh on my mind, and I was watching Isaiah Thomas when he got the ball and would li- just go to the basket. They, like, n- no one touched him because the defender is playing, has to play like a foot or two off of him because he's so quick, so fast with the ball, and you can't put your hand on him to stop him. Or if he takes a step, you go in that same direction, get in the way and put your hand on him in any way. You get whistled for the foul, and then he... Harden gets most of the credit for this, but other players do it too. As soon as you feel that contact, you instantly throw it up and go to the line. And so like just watching it from from that perspective, and I know it's been like this for years, but just after doing research and talking about this and then watching a game, I'm like, holy crap, Hubie was well, right. Well, like, <laughs> well, and, Hubie. and Fred Fred Hoiberg would tell you that not only is Thomas doing all that, but he's also dribbling illegally, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but hey, well, I mean, the game is still, phys- there's still a physical aspect as evidenced by Isaiah Thomas taking a lot of those drives with a missing tooth, right? So there's still, there's still a lot of uh, attacking in the game. But, so the argument that we kind of want to make here is how the handshaking rule has led to what we have this year with the bombing of threes, right? So it's, it's obvious that these guards, if they're going to be unimpeded, can get to the basket and can cut to the basket and get there without, without anyone stopping them. But how does that also lead to an increase in three-pointers? And this is, this is my theory that I'm, I'm gung-ho on, and I think is, there's, there's a lot to it. I don't know how much Justin agrees with me on here, if he, if he thinks it's as big of a deal as I do, but we'll, we'll find out. So the year after the handshake rule, the league made 1,500 more th- total threes than they did the previous year. And you see that that just continued to climb, continued, 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 until you have the 24,000 that they made this year, which was almost uh, 10,000 more than what they made that first year. So just in, like, that's how exponentially it has been increasing until we see it just fine. Everything just boiled over with the Warriors, with the their success in that first year of the finals. And once... They just completely took this to the next level. But, so here's my theory, Justin, I'll let you shoot it down or argue with it however much you think. So to me, the perimeter player being able to move with the ball and go pretty much wherever you want in combination with defenders really not being able to to do anything to help out without being whistled for flagrants or anything like that, it's also it's just creating spacing in general, right? So to me, when a when you see a defender like Isaiah Thomas takes off towards the basket, you have these other players who are other players who are collapsing in to help, and then that's creating the space either to kick out to a three point shooter because you can't just the you'd rather him shoot the three than have a wide open layup, right? And then also if your defender is having to just in general play. A foot or two off of you just to be able to keep up with you taking steps backwards to keep up with you and defend you as best he can you're automatically just have spacing built in that leads to more more space to shoot threes so like in in my brain like I'm, I'm trying to follow it from season to season and just see how this evolves and to me the hand checking rule and taking that away not only does it lead to perimeter players being able to attack the basket more but it just creates that more spacing on offense that kind of set the table over years to make that analytical movement where they say hey a three shoot more threes it's better well it's gotten to the point to where there's so much spacing now that that's not such a bad idea and everyone is doing it so everyone's getting better at three so i think ipso facto thereby there go uh, vis-a-vis whatever the dude says in the Matrix Reloaded, the old dude with the beard. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Ergo, the hand-checking rule to me was just the genesis that led to what we have now in the NBA with the offense just being so out of control. Am I right in any way, shape, or form? Do I get to speak now? It's been like 10 minutes. Yeah, I have two thoughts. One is that it, that's a very common sense answer, which surprises me coming from you because you have so little common sense. Yeah, but yeah. number no, two, normally it's just raw emotion. But I, I try right. to think this through. Number two, you just used a bunch of words to say this, really. <laughs> okay. Quicker guys penetrate to the hole. This draws in defenders, which leaves open shooters. Yeah. 
That's basically what you said, right? Yeah, you got the Cliff Notes version of it. Right. I mean, you did it with a bunch of word diarrhea. I did it very succinctly. <laughs> yeah, but that, the whole, the NBA going all Arrested Development on us, the one of the best Arrested Development running gags and just saying, no touching. No <laughs> touching. Like, no touching whatsoever. It just led to defenders are helpless. Like, what are, what are they supposed to do? Um, and so uh, Jerry West, the the great Lakers guard and now executive for the Warriors, he was on Mike and Mike during the Warriors' uh, first finals run talking about how with the rules being at the, the way that they are, it's almost impossible to stop a player like Steph Curry. So here's what he said. Even though you try to contain Curry, I'm just not sure with today's rules you can do it. No hand checking, uh, honestly walking all over the place. He doesn't walk, period. Uh, carrying the ball all over the place. These rules are benefiting these great offensive players. I mean, I get Jerry's point, although it, it's, it tends to sound a little like grumpy old man stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, all right, so, all right, that's a good point. So, I'm very anti the grumpy old man basketball player take right so anytime you hear them say oh this team could never hang with us oh or back in my day like the these new guys couldn't do what we did we'd be so much better normally i hate that god i hate that and i just want the older players to just shut up and you know you want them to respect you for what you've done to lay the groundwork for them yes i get that but it should also go both ways don't crap on the players today and say that they're worse than you because it's just not good for anyone but there's one argument that I that I want I I, I kind of start to go with right. If you're not allowed if if you're not allowed to touch players if you're not allowed to do anything like that it it, it does kind of change the game as we talked about. So the popular debate that always comes back to this is how many points would Michael Jordan average in today's game with without being hand checked? So you can look back at all the YouTube videos and see like with. Jordan had the ball. He had John Starks, John Stockton, you know, whoever it was, had their forearm right in his hips, right, right in, right on his side, like pushing him away. And it didn't matter. He still just did whatever he wants. So they had um, Scottie Pippen made that claim um, before the that same final series with the Warriors first series where he was like, Michael Jordan would have averaged 50 in today's NBA. And so that okay, started you know, off yeah, the whole debate. About- yeah, but we're also talking about what twenty five years now since since that initial Jordan championship, something like that. And I mean, are you telling me the players haven't gotten more athletic since then? You know, what I mean, like, so yeah, okay, they maybe can't do all the things they used to be able to do back then in terms of hand checking and whatnot. But I also tend to think that if you go back and look at games from twenty five years ago and then watch games now, the players today are much much more athletic. So yeah, Jordan might be going against a defender who's not allowed as much contact, but he's also going against a guy who's probably a lot more athletic than the guys he went against 25 years ago. Yeah. And there's a little bit of argument to make, too, about the, we said the pace of the game was so high. When you look back at some of those years in the 90s, I was watching some old clips. Um, I remember when the Rockets had Charles Barkley, right? Like later years, Charles Barkley on the edge of his career. It was some of the worst basketball I've ever seen because they would bring the ball up and then immediately dump it into the post and have him back it down, back it down, back it down, back it down, and then turn around and do you know do whatever. It was really, really boring basketball. 
But in a way, I mean, they, slowing the game down to to that degree kind of gave those the big wing players of the time, you know, more energy. You were running a lot less. Whereas today's game is a full on sprint, pretty much for for the entire game. And um, yes, yeah, so and I you think also have they, to cover. You have to cover more of the floor, right? I mean, back then the three point shot was not a weapon like it is now, and so the probably the area you had to cover on defense was smaller than the area you're expected to cover now. Yeah, and I saw like you could, they would do the thing where a team would put in some no-name backup center and to draw out your big defenders like your David Robinsons, um, guys like that, Elijah Wan, to where because they had to stay on them, right? Or it was illegal defense. So you just get your center, send them out to the three-point line, and you kind of could remove the big center defender from the defensive equation. But you can't do that now because you pull them out there and you have like the Mark Gasols and the um, what's his name? Brooke Lopez's are firing up threes like crazy. Like everyone is shooting threes. And the the style of play that Barkley and those guys were doing, it just doesn't exist. You just you don't see it at all anymore. Um, but even Barkley himself um, brought up Pippen's comments about everyone. If you just look on YouTube, you can find a thousand people weighing in on this argument about how the game has changed and whether or not MJ and the Bulls could would beat the hell out of the Warriors because they play this sissy ball where you can't touch them. But no here's what Barkley said in an interview on, again, Mike and Mike, who has addressed this topic f- quite frequently. But Dennis Rodman, Scott Pippen, and Michael Jordan in a free-flowing game, no hand-checking, they would be even better than they were in 96. Michael Jordan playing by today's rules, he's at a serious advantage. I mean, oh, Charles, just he just, again, it sounds like a grumpy old man. I mean... Yeah, if you take the Warriors and put them back in that time and put them into a style of play that they're not used to playing, then yeah, the Bulls would probably beat the hell out of them. But do the same thing. Take the Bulls from that era who are used to a particular style of play, bring them to today, and the Warriors would kill them, I think. I mean, I think they would beat them by 15 to 20 points. I really do. Um, it's just, You cannot just remove a team from its time and place and shift them to some other time and place. It, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I think you have to evaluate them against the teams they played against. Yeah. Normally, I, I hate this kind of argument. Like I said, I hate the grumpy old man basketball take. But I think, there, I th- I think there's something to this, right? I think, I think the, the, the no touching has really changed things and that these – it's not, it's almost not even the same the same game anymore. Yes, the object is the same, but the way they go about it is just completely different. Uh, the offenses are different, the styles are different. Everything is completely different, and so we're seeing everything just just escalate, right? So the question is, my question is for you, right? So first, how much do you think the hand check rule is to blame for changing the game and leading to? What we saw, what we saw this season, just with the the scoring explosion, the scoring extravaganza. Do you have a right, percentage? I'm gonna correct you of, though. I, first, I'm gonna go, correct you. I would not use the word blame, because I, I actually like what it's. I, yeah, I would like what it's done. I do. I like how it's I like how it's opened up the game. Open up the game. Um, like you said, in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, the game was becoming a slog, and it was not really fun to watch. I mean, can you remember, like, for example? The, the Nets-Spurs final. Oh, God, no. That was not entertaining to watch. I mean, you're talking about like a 78-76 game or something like that. You know, that's, that was not fun basketball to watch. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, I think the the change, the rule changes obviously had a huge effect on the game. And I think, though, that they were for the better. Now, here's one thing I worry about. I think we're getting really close to the point where these games could get boring because so many three-point shots are being taken, right? Like, you don't want to see a game where teams are just basically volleying back, volleying back and forth between the three-point line, chucking shots up, you know, back and forth. I don't yeah, think that's something that's we want to watch. It is. Yeah, that, exactly. And, and there are some, it does devolve into that sometimes, especially in certain regular season games. I don't know if the, we'll see that in the playoffs, but who knows. I remember, so I started working for the Rockets in like like the pre-Harden years, like the time between Yao and before Harden, when Daryl was really trying to institute his his system that is you know caught on so much today but at the time it was crazy that they were shooting so many threes without players who could make them that was that was the big thing that daryl kept wanting them to keep shooting threes but they didn't have any good three-point shooters and there were some games where when they were hitting it's exciting it's exciting as hell i think the three-pointer i think we talked about this in a previous episode last year like to me the three-pointer has become the new dunk right it's the new like wow play that you want to watch and what i mean by that whereas like the dunk happens in a split second the three-pointer anytime you watch 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 the crowd next time steph or one of those players shoots a three and you just watch everyone's eyes just following the ball so you have this kind of like second or two however long the ball is in the air if everyone just this collective like holding your breath waiting to see what happens like there's just this excitement about it and whenever they're whenever they're hitting and Steph is doing his little shuffle it's amazing but whenever you get to the point where those shots aren't falling and they're just continuing to miss 25 three-pointers a game that that's where it gets pretty hard to watch and that's I don't know if we're going to get to that point if they're just going to continue throwing threes to where it just becomes a three-point game and that's it or if the players are going to continue to adapt and practice more and get so good at the shooting the three and that players who shoot threes better are going to be given more playing time that it's not going to become a problem so i I don't know i don't know which way i lean on that yet yeah i'm I'm wondering where the where the inflection point is like at what point are you shooting too many three-pointers yeah when where is where is peak three where is peak three exactly have we have we reached it yet so do you think with with all of this are today's stats inflated? Like, would you would you use that would you use that term, or is it? I mean, that's that's what it is. Like, you, you we always run into problems trying to compare different eras, and especially stat wise. But would you say with the way the game is now, like, are, is, are the stats and scoring inflated due to the the style of play and the the lack of touching on defense? No touching. No touching. No touching. Well, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? But yes, in one sense, they're inflated. If you're playing at a faster pace and you're using the three-point shot like never before, and in fact, the three-point shot didn't even exist back when Jerry West and Oscar Robertson and Pete Maravich were playing, right? They never didn't have that chance to score 50% more points just by making a longer shot. So yeah, in that sense, they are inflated um, because, once again, of the higher pace and, and the, the prevalence of the three-point shot. What you need to do, though, is you need to compare a player to his peers, compare him to the league averages at the time, those sorts of things. And then once you assess his place within his time and place, then you can compare him to others. But yeah, it's not fair to take some guy from the mid-70s, say, and compare him to some guy from now. Just because of the way the game was so different. 
yeah, going up against completely different systems. So you kind of hinted on this already. My next, my question I want to ask is, do you think, is this ultimately good for the NBA? Like, is this, is this style of play sustainable? Like next season, are we going to be doing an adaptation of this podcast when we're like, oh my God, they, the NBA collectively made 50,000 three pointers this season, you know, is is this sustainable and is it overall a good thing for the NBA? Yeah, I, I mean, it just depends, right? I think it depends on on how much the the ratio of three-point field goal attempts to all other field goal attempts, it depends if that continues to increase at the rate it has or not. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it just goes back to what I said earlier where I don't really want to watch a game where half the shots are three-pointers. Um if it sort of levels off a little bit, I, like I said earlier, I like this the, the the current style of basketball. I like it, and so if it levels off and stays about this this way for the next several seasons, I'm good with that. If it continues to go up, you know, three four percent every year, where they just keep shooting more threes and more threes and more threes, I'm, I'm going to be concerned, and I'm going to think I'm not sure this is sustainable. Yeah, my worry is if you continue to emphasize offense over defense and tell them you can't you can't do anything to stop a player that the game is going to get more closely and closely uh in line with the all-star game you know not to that extreme oh gosh no, not to please, that extreme no, yeah, but you're that's... going to continue to see like the game get more resemble the all-star game just more and more which is something i i don't want to watch like if no the two the 2017 all-star game here's how bad it was my 13 year old son who loves the nba he even thought the all-star game this year was hot garbage he's like dad they're not even playing basketball i'm like yeah you're right it's basically a dunk contest and a three-point contest and it's being presented as an exhibition game and it's ridiculous yeah but to the nba's credit i mean they they put these rules into effect to increase scoring but and it worked as we talked about but it's also just increased their viability as a company they this year they also broke their uh, total attendance record for the third season in a row in a row record for average attendance per game so i mean and ridiculous can, tv contracts right i ridiculous mean ridiculous tv contracts um they have i think i mean more just good faces and superstars now this season than they've had in a long time right because it, it's not just mj and everyone else or and then lebron and everyone or kobe and everyone else lebron and everyone else i mean you we've got you make good arguments like who should be on your all nba teams because there's so many good players so many good stars like so the health of the nba overall is doing quite well so i can see how they might be on the side of if it ain't broke don't fix it so I really don't think the NBA is going to say, you know what, it would be a really good idea if we allow hand checking again. Like I think they're going to I think they're going to stick with the with the no touching for a while until we reach the point of peak 3, whenever that is. And it's bound to happen. I think it's it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when before we say, all right, this has gone too far. We have to adapt every sport every sport except baseball seems to seems to do that seems to adapt their rules with the time whereas baseball is like nah we're just we're just gonna keep doing our thing but hey, no, even baseball is uh, breaking you're, you're, attendance yeah, records. Like say, they've made they've made some changes and that's but that's another podcast um but there is some symmetry to the nfl here right because i think some similar yeah, things are going right. on in the nfl where the passing game explosion which we talked about in an earlier in an earlier podcast yeah shameless plug 
um, you know, where people were saying the same thing in the NFL, like, are we reaching the point where the rules are so ridiculous and these defenders can't do a thing? Are we now basically playing arena football under NFL rules? You know what I mean? And I, I think a similar thing could happen in basketball where you, you're, you get to the point where it's like, okay, are we really still playing basketball or, or have we changed now into something else? Yeah, our next episode is going to be called What is Basketball? Where we define exactly what it is. But to your point about the NFL, I mean, they're doing the same thing on defense as well, where they're outlawing uh, so many different types of contacts and hits and stuff. Um, and people argue that it's not even the same NFL because you can't, you can't touch the quarterback, you can't do anything like that. But, of course, the NFL is doing this largely for completely different reasons than the NBA. I mean, they're, the NBA... I don't, I haven't no, heard health of and safety, any, obviously. Yeah, haven't heard of any NBA players, you know, dealing with memory loss and concussions, like you know, to the level that the NFL is. So it's it's similar, but but different, different. in a way. But yeah, but I get what you're saying that it's, and they're going to have to keep doing that because with the changing media landscape, how people are watching things, how people are consuming things, you have to keep making the product sexier and sexier. And if making your product sexier means taking away the taking away the hand check then hey it it seems to be working the question is for how much longer so with that we'll bring this episode to a close thank you very much for listening to this you can tell all your friends that you learned why the nba is the way that it is today and it's because of a long-running arrested development gag no touching So be sure to check out our blog at blog.statmuse.com. We're going to have some of the uh, results we got from StatMuse. Also going to have a few other things that Mr. Kabatko ran, some graphs that just show how things have changed since the 2004-2005 season. Be sure and check that out. Be sure to follow the company on Twitter at StatMuse. You can get me at Chad J. Shanks. Justin is at J. Kabatko. And be sure to tune in for the next episode of Stat Stories.